Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 34 of Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to be reading verse 24. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And I'll stop reading there. In our last study, we saw that God driving out the man, that uh, word, the Hebrew word, translated as drove out, is a word that's often used to describe in association with the wrath of God. And and here man who has sinned has come under the wrath of God and and has been driven out from God's presence, from his kingdom. And God has placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. We also mentioned that the direction of the east in the Bible relates to the kingdom of God. And in order for man to return, to re-enter the kingdom of God, a man was in the kingdom of God in his original state, his original creation when he was good. But since he has fallen into sin, And has come under God's wrath. He has been separated from God. In order to re-enter, he must go by the way of the east gate to the tree of life. Uh, But the tree of life is protected by cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And the, the word translated is keep is a few times translated as watch, or even watchman. The cherubim and the flaming sword are watching the way. They're guarding the way of the tree of life. Not just anyone can come meandering down the road and just uh, unimpeded make his way to the tree of life. No, that's not possible any longer. When man was again in his original condition, uh, which was good, without sin, the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden, he had access to it. But now access has been restricted, it's placed off limits, it is guarded, God himself watches over it. And actually, that's where the cherubims come in because the cherubims identify with the person of God. The cherubims, if you look up the word cherub or cherubim, the word cherubims is Strong's number 3742, and it's used uh, well over 50 times in connection with the Ark of the Covenant and with the Holy Place. The, the Holy of Holies. It's used, for instance, in Exodus chapter 25, beginning 
in verse 16. And there it says, And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee, and thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and thou shalt make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. And and so we see that the cherubim have everything to do with the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, and and God says that he will meet with his people, he will commune with them from above the mercy seat. Well, what was above the mercy seat? The cherubims. So God will meet and commune with his people from the cherubims. The, the cherubims are closely related to God himself. And uh, we, we know um, that inside the Holy of Holies, as God established um, this really representation of himself, of his holiness, the, the Ark of the Covenant contained the Ten Commandments, the testimony or the law of God. It contained the Word of God. And it is that law that man has broken, man has transgressed. And, and therefore it is the law that condemns mankind. The Ark of the Covenant really was a container carrying the condemnation of man, of the unsaved people of the earth, people who have broken the covenant, broken that law. And and so when it was laid inside the Holy of Holies or when it was set and positioned, it had a mercy seat covering it. And the mercy seat was over the ark, covering the ark, covering the testimony, the law of God was inside the ark because the law was condemning man. And so God established once in the year the high priest of Israel would enter into the Holy of Holies with much incense smoke. They would, they would go up and make it very cloudy and, and so he could not even see all that well. But he would make his way to the ark and he would take of the sacrificial animal that was slain 
on the Day of Atonement, and he would sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat covering the ark in which was the law. And the figure was, the sacrificial animal was picturing the sacrifice of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and and his atoning work that he had performed from the foundation of the world. And the blood covered over the ark on the mercy seat. It, it um, was satisfaction regarding the law's demand that the one that has violated it die. There must be the shedding of blood or there can be no remission of sin. And the law demanded death. The wages of sin is death, and and the blood sprinkled over it indicated that one had shed its blood, and and of course it was an animal sacrifice, but it was pointing to, again, Jesus himself, who gave his life, as the life is in the blood, for the sins of his people, he atoned for them. And, and, and so it covered the law. The law no longer condemned the, the people of God is really what it pictures. There is therefore now no more condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But above the mercy seat, below we had the ark with the law, the mercy seat above it, but above the mercy seat were the cherubim and the cherubim uh, were um, were facing inward towards the ark, and and they are a figure of eternal God. They are a figure of an offended God, God who has um, created man in His own image and and given man His law, and man was obligated and responsible to obey it yet failed to do so, and rather transgressed and offended the holy God who gave it. And therefore, the the cherubim, a picture of God, and, and yes, cherubim is plural. It's a plural word. Cherub is singular. Cherubim is plural. But remember, God gives himself the name Elohim, a plural name. Whenever on a Hebrew word you find im at the end, it, make, it means it's plural. El is singular for God. Elohim is plural for God. Because God is one, yet reveals himself as three persons. So cherubim, cherub, or cherubim, are plural, but they represent God Almighty. They represent the God of the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 9, in New Testament, we find... A reference to the cherubim in Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 2. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and 
the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Well, in this passage, we find God speaking of the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat. They they were above it, and therefore cast their shadow upon the mercy seat. And God, in calling them the cherubims of glory, is picking up language from the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 10. And it, it's actually mentioned here several times where we're going to cut into it towards the end of the chapter in Ezekiel 10, beginning in verse 18, where it says, Then the glory of Jehovah departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. And the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels also were beside them, and everyone stood at the door of the east gate of Jehovah's house. Remember in Genesis, where were the cherubims positioned? On the east of the Garden of Eden. And here it's the east gate of Jehovah's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. This is the living creature that I saw under the God of Israel by the river of Chebar, and I knew that they were the cherubims. Everyone had four faces apiece, and everyone had four wings, and the likeness of the hands of a man was under their wings, and the likeness of their faces was the same faces which I saw by the river of Chebar, their appearances and themselves, they went everyone straight forward. So a couple of times here, uh, the prophet Ezekiel, being moved by God's Spirit to write these things, makes mention of his earlier encounter with the cherubims that he saw by the river Chebar. And that is found in Ezekiel chapter 1. Uh, and, and again, we could read many things in this chapter, but we're just going to read uh, the last verse, verse 28 of Ezekiel 1. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Jehovah. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. And and what Ezekiel is speaking of is the vision that God gave him concerning the four living creatures that he identified in Ezekiel chapter 10 as being the cherubim. The cherubim are the glory of Jehovah, the likeness of the glory of Jehovah. And, and so when we read in our verse in Genesis 3, verse 24, that uh, the cherubims are placed by Jehovah 
with a flaming sword turning every way to keep the way of the tree of life, we can understand that they are a representation of the glory of the likeness of Jehovah. In other words, they are representative of God himself, of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that's why Jesus said, um, as we mentioned in the last study, in John 14, Jesus said this. Uh, I'll read from verse 4 of John 14. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But by me. And as we pointed out last time, Jesus is the way and the life. And no one goes to the Father but by him. That is, by the way that is Christ, um, uh, you you cannot reach the Father. And where is the Father? In the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. In other words, when we look at this image, this picture that God is giving us back in Genesis, in our verse in Genesis 3.24, and we see the cherubims, the cherubims represent God or the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see the way to the tree of life that, that the cherubims are protecting, the way represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see the tree of life that is found at the end of that way or on the path way, that narrow way that leads to eternal life, the tree of life is representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything here represents the Lord Jesus Christ, just as um, really everything in the picture that shadows these things that God made in the Holy of Holies. The the ark represents the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the testimony inside the ark represents the Lord Jesus Christ. The mercy seat covering over the ark represents Christ. The cherubim above it represents Christ uh, because God is all in all. And it's the same here. Even the flaming sword, which keeps this way of the tree of life, the, the flaming sword is a picture of, yes, Christ himself. The, the word flaming is a word that's uh, translated as um, uh, set on fire or burneth up. Uh, it's in Deuteronomy 32.24, uh, set on fire the foundations. Or it's in Psalm 97, verse 3, a fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. The, the word burn up is the same word. It's in Psalm 106 and verse 18. And a fire was kindled in their company. The flame 
burned up the wicked. It's, it's the word burn up. It's also, um, used in Malachi chapter four in regards to judgment day and burning up the wicked or burning them up as stubble. It has everything to do again with the judgment of God. And in order to reach life, to obtain life, to live forever, really what God is saying is you must die. God is indicating that the way of life is a way in which one must first die. They have to be killed with a sword. They have to be burned up in order to get past the guard, the watchman, the cherubim, to reach that tree of life and and to enter back into the kingdom of heaven. And of course, that's why salvation is impossible with man. It's not possible for a man to um, successfully, uh, men can attempt it, and many men do, with their gospels and religions and, and being a good person and keeping the law, but it's impossible to successfully make your way past the flaming sword that the cherubims are watching the way of life and and to get by that guard that's keeping the way because the flaming sword will kill you every time. It'll kill you. Whenever it sees the least offense, the least transgression, the the least sin against God, it will slay you. Uh, your religion cannot um, get you through, and and neither can anything else in this world. And certainly your own works cannot get you through past the tree of life. It will always kill the natural man and burn them up so there'll be no more. And they will never, ever get to the tree of life and eat so they can live. And so, yes, Jesus is all these things, but he's also the one who died, who experienced the flaming sword. He was burned up. He experienced the fires of hell or death at the foundation of the world. He was the lamb slain and and killed with the sword of the word of God. And he was the one whose blood was shed in order to make a way past the flaming sword because now that Jesus died for the sins of all these elect, all those predestinated by God to salvation, and all their offenses and sins were laid upon him. And and so that sword, that fire that should have destroyed the these elect individuals personally now uh, targeted Christ he became the object of the wrath of God and and the sword slew him he was smitten and afflicted on our behalf he was wounded and bruised for our sake as the fire burnt him and consumed him in flames and he died in our stead 
And, and now when one of God's elect comes the way to the east of the kingdom of heaven, and, and here is the pathway laid out for us. Jesus is the way, the way of the word of God, the Bible that we follow. And we're on our way to Zion to enter into God's holy heaven. And we come along that path and the cherubim are there, but the cherubim are not stopping us. And the flaming sword has nothing it can hold against us. It does not strike us dead. It does not burn us up. We are able to go past because Christ has made a way. He has granted us entrance. And really, it's like the fire goes out uh, in in regards to the people of God. And, and the sword uh, disappears. There There is nothing to kill God's people. They just find a way. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And we go to the Father by him. And we enter into God's kingdom. And and we're citizens now of heaven. And we have access to the tree of life. We can eat of it today because God has already saved us. And in our soul existence, we we have a perfect resurrected soul that will live forever already. And we will eat from the tree forevermore. It has been restored to us. And God has restored our soul, restored our ability to live forever. And, and therefore, uh, we, we are just greatly blessed. We're greatly blessed that God has done this for us. Now, uh, here is one of God's elect. He passes through, uh, that which is impossible for other men and he just goes right down the path that that no one else can travel, and here comes the next man right behind. Oh, he made it, I'll make it. And he's struck dead. And the next is burned up, and and so on, because there there has been no way made for them. Christ has not died for their sakes. They must die for themselves. They have to um, pay the penalty to get beyond the flaming sword and and to the tree of life. But the the problem that the natural man has is once he's killed, he has no power in himself. He has no ability to overcome death, to rise from the dead of his own strength. Only God could do that kind of thing. Only Jesus could resurrect from the dead and come back to life victorious over death. Man cannot do it. Man does not have power in the day of his death to do that kind of a thing. Well, uh, here we just see this glorious picture. And let me just give you a couple of verses. Hebrews 4.12 and Revelation chapter 19 verses 13 and 15 where we see that Christ is the word and the word is related to the sword and and so Jesus also is the flaming sword he's he's just everything every aspect of the picture that God is drawing for us here 
Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.